Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. Welcome, everybody. This is Robbie Martin. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for all your um, your Patreon donations. We're, we're very pleased and excited with all the support we're getting. And um, yeah, it's just very encouraging. So yeah, it's super awesome. We're very inspired to make these really good and um, get them out regularly. And we really, really appreciate all the support and the feedback. And um, it seems like our SoundCloud's working again. Yeah. Um, and we also have YouTube video segments being put up pretty much on the regular now. So check those out as well. Yeah. A lot of people don't like following SoundCloud for uh, some reason, which is totally fine. And they don't like iTunes, which I completely understand. So if you prefer YouTube, we're cutting the best segments from our episodes there. So it's just more digestible in case you're not the kind of person who likes to listen to, you know, one to two hour podcast to catch up. So yeah. check that out. And, and still, as always, we've, you know, we're still trying to get on Spotify and Google play, but uh, we're pretty much everywhere else now. We're on Podbean, we're on Breaker, we're on Stitcher. Pretty much any app uh, that you would download on your iPhone, you can listen to our podcast and subscribe to it on. And I can understand why people dislike SoundCloud because like, the actual like cursor to move through it and to skip through it is really shitty. Um, and all these other apps seem to have a much better version like Stitcher and Podbean. Yeah, check those out for sure. So I was gone for a while. I went on a little road trip to Petrified Forest and a bunch of other places in New Mexico and Arizona. Wow, what an incredible place. Uh, it just makes you wonder why all children and just all people <laughs> are not brought there uh, to just see how insane that place is, Robbie. I mean, and it's kind of a shame that, you know, Americans don't travel to these national parks um, and when they do, it's just like the most iconic ones like the Grand Canyon, which is also epic. But this is a park that has these tangible small things that almost display the the same sort of wonder as the Grand Canyon, where you can see this ancient fossilized trees, you know, that existed mm -hmm. even before the dinosaurs, they were fossilized. And so it's just, it was just unbelievable. The sad thing about it, though, is that you can see all the the fossils have been mined already by people just, you know, picking them off Tourist over the stealing. years. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, and, well, the yeah. sad thing about the Southwest is just is not super related, but like peyote cactus used to grow wild uh, all over the Southwest, New Mexico, Arizona, and hippies in the 60s and 70s just picked it all out. Like you, it doesn't, you can't find it anywhere in the wild anymore. Um, wow. That shit's gone now. I mean. Wow. And there, I can't imagine what, the petrified forest look like when like John Muir and stuff were there because all of these fossilized trees that have turned into gems, you know, and these, they look freaking um, incredible. I mean, it looks like insane. almost, they look almost like they're polished already. You were showing me pictures of, of petrified oh, there's wood one and that I was actually, just like, what the hell? This looks like something oh, yeah. you would buy in a gem shop. Yeah, no. And there's some that actually look like quartz, like, but those ones have all been mined. Like there's very few on the trail mm -hmm. that you can see that actually look like the quartz. But like where the wood some... actually has like a crystalline, yep. like transparent. Yep. Yeah. I've seen that. That stuff's fucking incredible. I encourage everyone to go. If you live anywhere near those places, you just have to. And that's the best part about this country really are these unbelievable natural wonders that, you know, that exist all throughout this area, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and that's where the dinosaurs were. Like they all have like fossils and, and you see the rest of the map of the United States, like on a topographical map and it's just all flat. It's pretty, it's Incredible. pretty crazy how much beauty there is in the United States considering like how fucked up and just like unappreciative, like our country's citizens are of it. <laughs> like 
Oh, like we almost don't deserve Europeans and Asians there. No, it's all there's no Americans anywhere. When we go on these trails and like these tours, we went on this little cave tour and stuff. They're foreigners. All all foreigners. Yeah, that makes traveling from all over the world to see these these you know natural wonders. But I guess my point was a go see this shit because it's epic. While we still can before it's all um, you know given to oil and gas giants to drill. B, I get back from, you know, basically taking a huge break from Twitter and stuff. And I just like looked at Donald Trump's Twitter and I was just floored. I mean, I know that it's really trivial to talk about how he tweets and stuff, but I was just absolutely appalled that literally all day, two days ago, he was live tweeting television just all day. It was like every, every like 30 minutes, he would just be tweeting all, it was obvious that he was just watching Fox and CNN all day. And that was the same day that he like insulted LeBron James and stuff. And I was just going to say it. So it was hilarious that the, the, the CNN tweet he made, like kind of proved that one, like anonymous leak from the white house that came out like a month ago saying that he watches and hates Dom Lemon the most. He like hate watches him. <laughs> and it was like that tweets like, Oh shit. Like he kind of does like he just, just let it slip. He just keeps insulting black people yeah. like, for their lack of intelligence. If it's Low not Maxine IQ Waters, individual. it's Don Lemon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, I guess it was just funny. I like, I wrote like, can you imagine having this much free time? Because it wasn't just that he was tweeting and I know that it doesn't take that much to tweet, but it was the fact that he was live tweeting television all day. And you should see these people leaping his defense being like, this is good. Actually. Um, I want a president who speaks directly to the people. This is really good. He's going out there unfiltered, uncensored. And I was just like, how could anyone, anyone look at this and be like, this is great. This is amazing. I mean, it's just it was just very surreal. All of it's just very surreal to me too. And then the simulation just keeps getting worse because I just saw today that um, Steven Seagal has been named by Russia as like a de facto peace negotiator. Did you see that? Oh yeah, I saw that. I mean, it's um, really, really sad uh, that the Russian government (laughs) would appoint him to be that. I mean, it's just just odd. It's kind of like Germans being like super into David Hasselhoff, it just seems kind of really off. Or North it's Korea like when, being like super into Dennis Rodman. It's like, why are these other countries like so obsessed with our like, B, like not even B celebrities, but like C grade celebrities? Like, <laughs> Remember when odd... Liz Wall interviewed Steven Seagal and was like... <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. Yeah, she did it in front of like his weird, look like an 80s, like, um, like his fireplace just looks so um, garish, like... She it was, was like all excited about it. Terrible, it was one like of the rock biggest interviews she'd done. Fireplace yeah. that looked like something you would immediately tear out of, like a house you're going to flip. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was oh weird. God. And then also um, that Russian spy, Butina, you know, I call it Russian spy in quotes. Mm. Um, Vice is running these articles now, like mocking, you know, it's like she was such a good spy that she admitted it while she was drunk. Haha, <laughs> like, look at us, look how bad these spies are. And it's like, I kind of don't think are. that's an ha. actual spy, you know. <laughs> like I, I mean, not in my. It just doesn't line up with what they're trying to say. But I mean, we spent so much time talking about Russia on the last episode. There's not really. I mean, has there really been any new? Oh yeah, I mean, we'll get into the Facebook deleting uh, those pages later yeah. on in the broadcast because that's the next big story. But I mean, really quickly, the just going to read a couple headlines. Obrador to follow up on a, a couple podcasts ago. 
is doing good things. You know, I, I, a lot of people were critical of the podcast and that's fine. I believe in a broad coalition of progressives. Um, you know, I think that this factionalism within the progressive movement is really a detriment. So I'm, I'm trying to be positive about all of this. And, and Obrador actually just announced that he's going to ban fracking nationwide, which is a huge hit to just the neoliberal institutions that are trying to expand uh, drilling and extraction of natural gas. So that that's awesome. Another thing that we never really mentioned is that the Otto Warmbier story, that kid who allegedly was tortured in North Korea, got sent back with this giant publicized like negotiation between Trump and the North Korean government before the peace summit. Um, that story actually didn't really add up. A GQ investigation came out that uh, just seemed a lot more murky than what we were told. I mean, we kind of knew that all along, but yeah. it was it was good to have it validated by uh, some you know publication like that. Well, murky, murky, and also just like an, a similar to what Trump has done before with grieving families, as we know very well with Kate Steinle's parents, using them as props to push an agenda. According to this GQ article, a lot of the things that their parents were told by the Trump administration were false, blatantly false, to make them more upset and to go out there and, and say, you know, look how horrible this is. They, they tortured our son and all this stuff. And even though it does seem like kind of an inexplicable and senseless tragedy, um, there's just no evidence to suggest any of the things the parents or Trump's administration was saying about him. Trump said that he was tortured. His teeth were all fucked up. He had like a giant scar on his foot. The literal um, phrase they, they used was that his teeth had looked like they were rearranged with pliers, <laughs> like implying that he was like tortured, like, you know, like in some, like you would imagine during the Korean war, like to an American soldier, like they took out his teeth with pliers, you know, it was kind of like that. Yeah. And even though we don't know how he actually got comatose, uh, the fact is that he was treated well in the North Korean hospital and, and the people who went there actually had to admit that. Even so, before he got in a comatose state, apparently he was treated very well also. Um, even though he seemed very demoralized mentally, um, he was apparently on in a compound, like some kind of prison where you're able to go outside uh, compared to actual labor camps or like prisons in North Korea for their regular citizens. He was treated much better, apparently. And right. this is all documented in this really good uh, GQ article. I mean, it's basically just explaining that a lot of these things, mysteries, that we really don't know what happened, were filled in with propaganda to make the Korean right. government look vicious and brutal and just totally insensitive. Right, exactly. You know, and um, you could, we could mm -hmm. debate all day about if it was right for them to arrest him in the first place for tearing down that banner. I mean, that's a whole different issue. But the right. Trump administration used his comatose condition and his eventual death as kind of like a, a leverage um, to kind of fire up war rhetoric against North Korea. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we talked about Jordan Peterson in the last podcast as well. Another fun fact is that he is now just unabashedly sharing like anti-climate change documentaries by Prager University, which is not an actual university, but it's a nonprofit organization funded by a pair of billionaire brothers, Dan and Ferris Wilkes, who basically made their money from fracking. 
So, you know, not only do they spread like ridiculous, like pro-Israel propaganda all the time, they do a lot of climate change denialism. And so Jordan Peterson just kind of revealed himself as just another one of these anti-science hacks, essentially. And he tweeted, he was like something for the anti-capitalist environmentalists. And it's just Prager University. It's just such an easily debunked, laughable thing. It's actually quite sad that he even did that. It's, I mean, Jordan Peterson is very, like I was saying before, he may sound very smart to certain people in certain areas, but when it comes to geopolitics and issues like climate change or, or fossil fuels, he's a, he's a fucking moron. He really is. Like, it doesn't take very much research to see that he, he just doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And it's, it's just, right. I think that just reveals his ineptitude in these areas I mean, even when he was talking about why we should increase fracking, his argument was, wouldn't that make us less dependent on Middle Eastern fossil fuels? I think that's a good idea. It's like, that's not, that's just such a weird, myopic, falsely framed debate, you know? That's like literally what Trump says when he wants to increase coal production. That's and that's like, literally what, what so the fracking companies Saudi. say, too. That's yeah. propaganda put out there by like those kind of companies. It's just odd that people can't see some of it's just like Sam Harris. It's like, once you start looking right. at Sam Harris's opinion on the Iraq war and other things, you're like, this guy is a fucking sociopath. Like how right. could you even trust anything he's saying about Islam? Like, I don't even believe he's read the Quran. Like after hearing some of his <laughs> other shit about Iraq, like this guy's crazy. Oh my God. Uh, and speaking of just climate change in general, I mean, this is just, unbelievable that chris hayes actually said this i don't know if you caught this i did i saw that tweet responding to someone yeah so he he was responding to someone being like holy shit you know the obviously the world's temperatures are just breaking every day in terms of um heat temperatures and just the climate is going insane i mean the fires right now in california alone they're calling them fire tornadoes there's fire chiefs saying we've never seen fires act this way before it's just like the perfect storm of all these cataclysmic climate catastrophes. And someone's asking Chris Hayes, who is allegedly one of the most progressive commentators on corporate media, on TV, rather. And, and someone's asking him, you know, why aren't you guys covering this? And he just says very casually, he just says, quote, almost without exception, every single time we've covered it, it's been a palpable ratings killer. So the incentives are not great. I bet you really regrets tweeting that because <laughs> he's always trying to stunt like as if he's really uh, on the left. That alone, you could be like, oh, wow, he's admitting that that climate change doesn't bring ratings. But the thing is, um, why is it that the suffering of Syrian children and Venezuelan children brings such ratings? Hmm. Could it be that it's actually not about what brings in ratings, but what affects the subsidization of the network? like oil companies, banking institutions, and defense contractors. Oh, Those and, the and big just like the neoliberal to, DC yeah. blob, which is, seems to be, you know, it's not this deep state hand controlling what the media does, but it does seem like there is enormous pressure now for the media to just get on board of this like DC blob think tank consensus on every foreign policy issue without like, almost any exception. Yeah, it's just so weird that he's just like, yeah, that's a ratings killer. It's like, why is it that the suffering of Syrian kids like brings in a bunch of ratings? And what, Yemeni kids don't bring in that same ratings? It's like, what what is the difference there, Chris? It was just such bullshit on its face because yeah. we all know why they won't cover climate change. We know who subsidizes these corporate news agencies. So it was just unbelievable that he admitted that. It just sounded so insane to actually say that out loud. It's, I mean, it's almost too candid. 
I mean, it's like, right. and it's just like reminds me, I mean, not, not what he said, but it just go, reminds me of how the conservatives look at climate change and global warming. And they see it as just a complete hoax done by Al Gore. Like, like that's, that's, it's like, that's the lens they see it through. And it's just like, wow. Like, so they haven't even, it's like, you can't even, as a conservative, you can't even make the argument anymore that like the mainstream media or the, you know, the neoliberals or the liberals are trying to push this idea of catastrophic global warming. Cause it's almost like gone from the dialogue now. It's oh, yeah. kind of strange. So like they're all reacting to like something that had more publicity in the past because of Al Gore and they're just knee jerk reacting against that and how he flies in a jet. So it's all fake. Yeah. It's just it's like, like how wow. Trump came out against the Koch brothers, like pretending to posture against them. Meanwhile, dozens of Koch brother affiliates, he's like given jobs to in the administration. So again, talking out of both sides of his mouth, pretending like he's standing up to these billionaire oligarchs while actually implementing all of their policies exactly. and employing their affiliates. Well, it's almost very, like, very genius. It's almost like a loyalty thing. Like, He's a he's like implementing their policies, but he's like directly, you know, trying to get people to go after them and see them as evil, which is so strange because then it makes people like Bill Crystal tweet things like Trump's, you know, attempt to get the GOP donor class to like disassociate themselves from the Koch brothers and, you know, talking all this bad about the Koch brothers. It's almost Marxist, Bill Crystal said. <laughs> and I was just like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is such a... Weird era we're in, we're where in Trump is simulation. tweeting about the Koch brothers being evil or bad while he's implementing their policies, and then Bill Crystal's calling Trump a Marxist. <laughs> yes, uh, another update on the previous Media Roots episode about the Supreme Court, which I encourage everyone to check out. Um, one thing that I missed was how many circuit court judges that, uh, that Trump has appointed. The number is already 24. The reason that this is so significant is because this is far more than any other president had appointed at this point in their term since the initiation of this court system. Can so we pull Trump, up that tweet this... that he did about it, or was it? It wasn't oh, a tweet. It was something he said. No, it right? was a quote. He, yeah, no. Let me, uh, let me pull it up really quick. He says, "When I got in, we had over a hundred federal judges that weren't appointed. I don't know why Obama left that. It was like a big, beautiful present to all of us." Donald Trump. He really knows how to rub that shit in, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I I don't know if this was because the Senate was actually blocking all the appointments for Obama. I haven't looked into that, but um, the the bottom line is, why did the Democrats let this happen? Mm -hmm. Again, like you're setting us all up to just hand over this insane system to someone like a Trump, mm -hmm. you know, with all of these empty appointments. I mean, that is just beyond the pale. I, I cannot believe that there were a hundred empty positions just waiting for someone like Trump to appoint. So that's where we're at. Well, it's just the strangest thing ever. I mean, even go back to the Obama administration's first cabinet picks and it was like, oh, he's leaving in Bush's defense secretary. That's weird. The guy that he's basically accused of like borderline, like we needed a special prosecutor, like look into crimes of the Bush administration. You're hiring their defense secretary. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's really, really crazy. Um, did you hear about this this thing that VOA News is putting out right now about this Chinese uh, human rights guy named Wing Wing Gong Sun, who had his interview cut off live on VOA with an arrest by Chinese authorities? Uh, no, but I saw I saw people actually defending VOA and being like, "This is totally different than what Russia is doing." Which is so funny because I mean, it's just it's just so bizarre that we can't see these things as meddling. 
just like we accuse Russia of doing. I mean, this is literally VOA exists to meddle in countries' affairs that we are either adversarial with or we do not like their policies. That's what it exists to do. But all these U.S. policymakers and blob apologists will say things like, no, in other countries, like we actually try to foster democracy and human rights. But it's interesting because then you'll, other, you'll actually hear, I just was thinking about this the other night, that like Victoria Newland actually admitted in old interviews that they would fund or they would help boost all the opposition candidates. Like against oh, like Putin. No, absolutely. Which They're is totally fascinating because that. that's what yeah. we accuse Putin and Russia of doing to us is like polarizing our country and boosting the opposition against like our government. Our absolutely. The favored establishment candidates. Oh, yeah. That's just casually admitted as if it's just yeah. nothing, as if it's just breathing air. I was going to mention that Marcy Wheeler defense of the Piero Midiar funding the NGOs in Ukraine. And it was like the only reason you could see this as regime change or meddling is if you're like paranoid. Well, no, that's how the U.S. does things. Yeah, don't we, like when people say, oh, the CIA doesn't operate the same way as it used to, it's like, that is true because now we operate under the guise of these humanitarian initiatives with USAID, all these NGOs, the National Endowment for Democracy. How could you possibly think that those agencies are doing good work? We know what they're doing. It comes out every year. It's the liberalization of regime change, of CIA regime change. I mean, look at Michael McFaul was bringing in all these Russian opposition candidates into the embassy. Um, There's video footage of it. You know, the Russian government made a big deal about it at the time. Everyone here is like, oh, they're paranoid. You know, they're they're not doing this. This is totally fine. And then as a a reverse troll attempt against Mueller's indictments, um, Russia said, we want to question Michael McFaul. Now, and everyone here is freaking out saying Trump better you know, condemn this, say that Russia can't do this. And we need to stand up for Michael McFaul's rights. You know, if he travels to Poland, you know, he could get arrested by Russian authorities. What a bizarre manufactured ass talking point. This guy was like, it's almost like Jeffrey Pyatt and Victoria Newland, like trying to defend themselves by saying they weren't meddling. It's like, you're on tape, dude. I don't understand. <laughs> like, how do you want us to defend you? Right. It's just, it's so bizarre. And it's just, it's just so weird how these things get twisted. For example, there was a Politico article that came out recently that was responding to the fact that a law firm was hired on behalf of these 13 IRA Russian trolls from the Russian troll factory to defend themselves in court against the indictment. Because remember last time we were talking about how the indictments weren't meant to actually bring anyone to justice? Well, what's interesting is in this previous indictment, the law firm was like, we want to see Mueller's evidence for these indictments. And the article was the funniest thing I ever seen, Abby. It was calling it a, a political gambit and a calculate, like a shrewd calculation by the Russians to try to meddle with Mueller's investigation. And it's like, wait, 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 wait a second. This is how the discovery process works. If you're representing, if you're defending a client, against an indictment or a charge, you have a legal right to get evidence through the discovery process. That's how the law is, works. Has has anyone in Russia tried to interview any of these GRU agents? Not that I know of. And no one in the U.S. has gone over there and tried to interview them either. Like even just from the press. The only way we could quote unquote extradite them Russia. is by kidnapping yeah. them out of the country because right. Russia does right. not have an extradition treaty. And that's what you mean when you say that they're never intended to actually bring them here. Yeah. Yeah. They're not intended to stand trial. But see, what what Russian government did is they put up a law firm to 
represent these previous 13 mm-hmm. people. Mm. And in that, the defense attorney for that law firm wanted evidence through the discovery process. And the U.S. press here is characterizing it as some kind of attempt for the Russians to, to derail the Mueller investigation. <laughs> When it's like, wait a second, this is actually really important, even just for the public, to know what evidence there was for these indictments. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, come on. It's just it's just insane when you and I and I've seen it really sad examples of people all over my feed, like defending Michael McFall and calling these, you know, the defense attorneys for these Russian trolls like totally, you know, slippery and trying to pull some tricks for just wanting evidence. it's just the weirdest thing I've ever seen how oh. It's yeah. just common sense is thrown out the fucking window. You know, I just, it's it's just why we need to fight so much. Cause it's like, look at the amount of heat Aaron Mate is getting for putting his neck out there and taking a stand on this. He's one of the only people left. And the fact that there's still so, it's, it's almost like they won't be happy until everyone is on the same page and just, Absolutely. and just concedes and is like, yeah. There was collusion. The Russians uh, got Trump in. It's yeah, they meddled a bunch, and and that's how weakened and and vulnerable we are. We need to do something about it. it what's so weird about this, Abby? Is the more I think about this, and the more I'm actually starting to work on part four of a very heavy agenda, is even if this all were true, that Russia really did hack into all these systems and implant all these spies and was meddling all the you know this much and had an effect. Why are we? Why is the U.S. press being told to by all these intelligence agencies and former government officials to publicize our vulnerabilities so much. Why is that? That in and of itself needs to be examined more because that is the sort of, that's, that's really the story. Like we we were saying last time, like why are they not just ratcheting up the tensions, but why are they making us seem so vulnerable? But we know why it's a psyop on us well, exactly. so that we can just relinquish all of our control to things like the Atlantic Council, which already, and we'll get into how insane this think tank is yeah. that's now just controlling what we can and can see on Facebook, et cetera. That's what I don't understand why more people who are believers in it aren't seeing this also. Like, even if you believe it's all true, you should also right. still be worried right. if you care about like freedom of speech and like internet you know freedom you should still be worried about why this is being publicized so much yeah why is this a black or white thing why is it just that you accept everything or or that you're like a stooge i i I don't know but i really do think it's some of the most complex sophisticated and long-term propaganda i've ever seen it is and it's and and russia you know it, it i don't know what other scapegoat they could use but it's a wonderful scapegoat for this and one of the only true things Trump is tweeting and all these weird tweet storms he's been doing, you know, like flailing back and forth as the Mueller investigation gets closer to him and his children, is that why didn't Obama stop it? Why, if they knew about all this stuff happening so far back, like why did Obama not just not only not try to stop it, but why didn't he say anything about it? So they just let the Russians meddle and elect Trump? Oh, and, that, and, it's and over? yeah, and now, it's like, and now the Russians are already meddling in, a, in an election that hasn't happened yet. I mean, Stephen Cohen, who I've interviewed, and he's one of the only sane people because he's such a Russia expert. He's lived there. He's, you know, he gives a lot of commentary on the nation, but he was on CNN. I don't even know why they invited him on because he just made everyone look like just infants. I mean, with his breadth of knowledge about Russia and Max Boot, of course, the notorious warmongering shill. Um, was set up to debate him. And it was absolutely insane. I mean, he reduced Max Boot to just a whining little tiny baby. All Max Boot could say to him is, you're apologizing for Putin. He never threatens 
Russia. And that's why a lot of intelligence officials think that there is something highly suspect in the relationship between Putin and Trump. I have no idea what Mr. Boot is talking about. He wants Trump to threaten Russia. Why would we threaten Russia? You've got two nuclear because superpowers. Because they're attacking us. And Mr. Russia Boots is attacking us, Professor Cohen. Russia is attacking uh, us right now, uh, according could, to Trump's could, own could director I, Russia, of national intelligence. Russia, I've been studying Russia for 45 years. I've lived in Russia, and I've lived here. And you've been if consistently Russia was attacking for Russia us, in we those would 45 years. Russia hasn't... Excuse me, what did you say to me? I said you've been consistently an apologist that, for Russia please. in those last 45 years. All right, I don't do defamation of people. I do serious analysis of serious national security problems. When people like you call people like me, and not only me, but people more eminent than me, apologists for Russia, because we don't agree with your uh, analysis, you are criminalizing diplomacy and detente, and you are the threat to American national security in the story. Why do you have to defame somebody you don't agree with it? They used to do that in the old Soviet Union. We don't do that here. Well, we used to. But we need to stop it. <laughs> so, you fi just finally, Steve, uh, Stephen, you're saying Russia was not attacking the United States? I know what you're talking about. That in, during the 2016 election, Russia attacked the United States. Yes, I don't think they attacked the United okay. States. Okay, and yet you're they just never. denied being an apologist for say, Russia. You're apologizing for Russia election, as we speak. But, well, you haven't let me finish. You don't know what I'm going to say. It's just another example, I guess, of. I mean, this is on the Anderson Cooper show. It's like one of CNN's biggest shows. And here's Max Boots sitting at the table with him. And it's yeah. like, wow. So this is just fully soaked in now is that now it's completely. This is the crazy thing is neocons even during the Iraq war weren't this accepted. They, oh, yeah. That's what's real weird about it. Yeah, like after right after 9-11, things were like way more weird and soft. Like everyone thought the neocons were fine. When it became time for the Iraq war, the media wasn't this nice to the neocons. It's just so it's no, just really it's, weird it's that actually we're in an insane. era where the neocons are allowed on the media more and they're treated more nicely by like CNN and MSNBC than any Robbie, other time. They're not, ever. they're not neocons anymore. They're classical liberals. Remember? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's just, part of yeah. why I've decided to call uh, part four the blob because we talk all the time about this idea of the deep state. It is a blob that has basically made it so that there's this giant consensus now in D.C. where everybody's just on the same page about these neocon foreign policy agendas. Yeah, and it is the blob because it keeps growing and yeah. eating up all of like the, the remaining little pockets of dissent. Exactly, exactly. That's I mean, incredible. the amount of people on the left now who come from our point of view, it's like dwindling. I mean, dropping like flies, like you said. It's like there's yeah. so few of us left. It's, it's scary. Um, speaking of just good journalism, Paul Jay, I just want to give a shout out to Paul Jay and the director of Modern Marxist Studies, this guy named Alexander Buzgalin, an incredible 12-part interview, just really insightful. I mean, for as much as the mainstream media loves to talk about Russia, there's very little discussion about what Russian life is like, what it was like during the Soviet Union, why, why the Soviet Union collapsed, um, and just you know, the dystopia of kind of that post-Soviet life and, and, and what happened since and, and what Putin's government is really like. So this guy really breaks it all down as a Russian Marxist. Um, absolutely fascinating interview that I really encourage everyone to, to check out. So I'll post that on the timeline as well. Yeah. And Real News is like one of the only regular video channels that's carving their own path. They're not clickbaity. And I recommend everybody check them out. 
and they're still doing great work. You were saying that you didn't really love the the Q and A from Aaron and Paul. I I did like it. Um, I thought that there were some really amazing points made about why it actually makes no sense for like the Russian capitalists to want to cause this rift because they're so invested in like U.S. capital mm-hmm. and projects and stuff to expand like all of these you know oil pipelines and all this shit. It was like it just doesn't even make sense on on a policy level. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's a nuanced, logical way to look at it. And it's a nuance you won't find in the way it's covered here because we're led to believe that every single oligarch in Russia is doing the bidding of Vladimir Putin. That's how cartoonish it is. Just basic economics tells you that that's, that cannot be possible at all. Like, come on. Yeah. And if, and if you look <laughs> at progressives in Russia or leftists in Russia, they will all say, um, and they've written extensively about this, that this narrative actually emboldens Putin and makes him stronger. And it's completely absurd. Well, remember there was a conspiracy theory. I mean, it wasn't even a conspiracy theory. A lot of people believed it saying that Russia or that Vladimir Putin was actually secretly the richest man in the world. And that he oh yeah. Had- you see those. Yep. Yep, you see those myths, whether it be Maduro, Chavez, or or Putin, or any. They are all the rich. They all, you know, stole all the wealth, and it's all just them. It's like all the nationalized resources and stuff. It all just went right into the pocket of Putin. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like the communist death toll that's been debunked. You know, like well, hundreds of millions of people died under communism. They got it from some like weird, um, like fascist, like little agitprop booklet. And yeah, these and people just keep even, repeating if this that was bullshit. Even, like, remotely true. It's like. There would already be VOA, Radio Free Liberty stories, and then they would eventually get into like Washington Post and stuff, talking about all the expensive, you know, thousand dollar bottle of wine that Maduro drinks and stuff. And then we don't ever see stuff like that. But like we see tons of shit like that about like Johnny Depp, you know, it's like, (laughs) so you really have to wonder like, why is there not all these stories coming out about how these men are like secretly the wealthiest men ever and like hoarding all this wealth? To deflect from just U.S. oligarchs. So yeah. obvious. And all this meddling talk is to deflect away from the fact that there are people meddling that are like domestic. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. just corporate. First, I wanted to say really quickly that Mike Preisner, my partner and the um, you know co-creator of The Empire Files, has a new podcast. And it's basically geared toward um, military veterans and active duty. So trying to kind of give some sort of um, avenue for people who are in the military to get out. Um, to encourage civil disobedience, to encourage resistance with, within and outside the military. So it's a really incredible podcast. He's co-hosting it with this guy named Spencer Rapone, who was a West Point officer, which is really crazy that this guy came out after going to West Point and like, you know, sported a Che Guevara shirt and wrote communism will win in his hat and got immediately kicked out of the military it was a pretty ballsy move, but um, a really insightful and incredible podcast that I was really impressed with the first two episodes. Um, so everyone check it out. It's called Eyes Left, and it's basically on all the same platforms that Media Roots is on, and it's just a really great project um, that's really needed. But yeah, the podcast is great. I recommend everybody check it out. Um, the first episode already did incredibly well. Yeah, they already have a Patreon up. It's it's going to be great, and I'm really excited that Mike is starting his own his own podcast because I haven't. Um, he's been kind of behind the scenes for a while, working on Empire Files. So I'm really glad he's he's putting himself out there again, and I'm I'm really excited about that. And another interesting tidbit that has to do with Mike is a couple of years ago, I oh, think God. like five years ago, this guy named Todd Kincannon, 
He was a former leader of the South Carolina Republican Party. On his LinkedIn, it says that he was um, executive director, general counsel, and parliamentarian, whatever the fuck that means, for the South Carolina Republican Party for six years until 2010. So I think it was 2013 that he sent this series of insane tweets to Mike um, where he basically says... He wishes that Mike came home from Iraq in a body bag. He wishes the Iraqis had better aim with his ass. And he hopes for his brain to be splattered JFK style. Um, so that's that's just a, a few the you know of the tweets that he was sending Mike. He also said extremely incendiary things about Trayvon Martin. I mean, just a total racist psycho. Wow. That's definitely if that I feel like Twitter would have already locked his account if he was tweeting that stuff today. Maybe. Oh, yeah. The fact that he was even Jesus able to say Christ. that stuff back then. Um, and so he, the news about him is that it just came out that he murdered a dog with his bare hands. His and family dog. That he's actually the second coming of Christ. Apparently the family dog. Yeah, family dog. Hmm, similar to Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' brother. Yeah, there's um, a theme here. A there's a Dahmer-esque mm-hmm. theme. And let's just say mm-hmm. that Dahmer, for all of his horrible crimes, seemed like he was a personable guy and these people are even worse. Like <laughs> this guy's like a monster on Twitter and in, in private, like murdering dogs. Um, I mean, it says they found Todd Kincannon. This is from Wikipedia shirtless and covered in blood and dog hair on the front steps of his parents' home when he was claiming to be the second coming of Christ. Yeah. He said that he said that Jesus needs a sacrifice and blood must be spilled every 1000 years, a thousand years, huh? Mm-hmm. I thought every thousand years, you just need to slaughter a dog for Jesus. I mean, I don't even think we talked about this on the podcast, Abby, but there was, I would, and we'll, we could talk about, we're definitely going to queue in on later, but there was a guy recently who was a Milo contributor. Actually, it wasn't recently. I think it was back in April. I think you told me this, who murdered his father over a dinner table argument about Pizzagate. His dad didn't believe in Pizzagate, so he accused his father of being a leftist pedophile and murdered him. At the dinner table. Wow. Yeah. Robbie, every thousand years, you just need to sacrifice some blood for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. It's becoming like a reality every day for these people that they actually fulfill these sick, twisted fantasies that they have online into real life where, yeah, and just you know, and, and a couple of, yeah, they snap in 2015, this guy was already arrested on a domestic violence charge after his wife told officers that she was in fear for her life. Now this is from the Washington post. The two had a fight after attending an event. Ken Cannon was screaming at her while he was driving, leading her to lower her window and scream at passing drivers for help. That's when his law license was suspended. I didn't even know he had a law license. But like we were saying, I mean, the Republican Party probably would have invited him back in after that anyway, because they have such a giant tent. They'd probably been like, you know what, that's fine. I mean, honestly, as I'm sitting here, like thinking about this and hearing you talk about it, I'm kind of like, damn, like I, I should probably be more careful about how who I insult on Twitter. It's like, you just never know like who oh, can yeah. snap and... You know, who's just so lonely and they have nothing going in their life that they would actually just ruin their life over like, I mean, I have no idea how this guy got to that point where he thought that killing his dog um, with a kitchen knife was going to bring back Christ or he, that he was going to turn into Christ. I don't understand that. but Well, it shows you that his life kind of devolved from, you know, he had a, a wife apparently in 2015 and now he's living with his parents and ended up murdering their dog. So... And I'm not um, I'm not making excuses for him and saying that it was because he was mentally ill, but like it's just another example of why we need, you know, mental mental health care availability in this country for just pe- you know not just the privileged. 
we needed yeah, it maybe we should have mental everybody. health screening before you get in the GOP. I mean, <laughs> it seems like a little bit of a common thread going on. Um, the two big foreign policy stories, and I'm going to fly through these because we have the big, uh, you know, the Facebook thing and the QAnon thing that we want to talk about, but another giant strike in Yemen's uh, main hospital. This is why this story is so insane. There was a strike in a fish market in Yemen, Saudi-led strike. Of course, we know that the U.S. backs that they also refuel their bombing planes and also supply the intelligence. So 55 people were killed. The death toll could actually be over 70, according to um, local sources. They bombed a fish market outside of the hospital. It's the largest hospital in Yemen. It's called Al-Thara. I'm reading from a Relief Web website right now. Um, it says that Al-Thara is the largest hospital in Yemen and one of the few functioning medical facilities in the area. It houses one of the best cholera treatment centers in the city. So hundreds of thousands of people depend on that hospital to survive. Again, the sadistic and barbaric nature of this bombing campaign to actually target one of the only hospitals that hundreds of thousands of people are getting treatment from and to exacerbate this cholera epidemic, which is also just completely an antiquated thing. It's like the bubonic plague. It should not exist in modern society. Um, not a word from the mainstream media, because you know what, according to Chris Hayes, that those ratings are just, you know, it's just palpable, the amount of uh, the lack of interest with stories like this, Robbie. That's why they can't cover it, unfortunately. Too bad. Did you already mention that Nikki Haley finally like said it's an emergency? Yeah, all of a sudden she's like, the, she's like the nature of warfare has changed there. As if all of a sudden they started targeting hospitals. Yeah. That's just a new thing, apparently. And I had a really interesting interaction with someone. So I was responding to a, let me try to find it really quick, a secular talk tweet where he was talking about Raytheon and the Girl, Girl Scouts. Because, you know, we've been seeing those ads popping up on Twitter every so often where, they're, where Raytheon is promoting like Girl Scout um, events. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... um so a guy responded to to Kyle's tweet and said, I will say Raytheon is saving lives, including mine in Saudi Arabia, with the Patriot missile defense system and many others around the world. Although I don't agree with the amount of money we spend in defense budgets, there is a need to make sure we do have some to keep us safe. So I asked him, just like kind of pretending to be like a person genuinely curious. I said, Daniel, can you tell us more about how the Patriot missile defense system saved your life in Saudi Arabia? So he says, because I live there with my family and they shoot rockets from Yemen given to them by Iran and they get shot down by the Patriot missile system. My friend here works on them. Pretty simple explanation. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Anyways, there's just, so many, there's so many weird like Saudi accounts that argue with me about Yemen every time I post something about that. They're like the Houthis. Are, it all seems like fake bots too. It really does. And I just heard this crazy ass story about an, an Amnesty International worker who got a WhatsApp message chat from someone who just seemed like a, you know, someone trying to give her a story. And it ended up being a malware link that installed malware in her cell phone that ended up being a Saudi operation using Israeli spy technology to implement malware on her cell phone to just spy on everything in her cell phone. Huh. And because she was just she was just an Amnesty International worker. So everyone who's doing journalism and um, be very careful about random links that you get. This is something that um, obviously Israel and Saudi Arabia are doing on the regular. Yeah, I mean, even, um, you know, I get about like 
a dozen spoof type of emails a week. I just got one the other day that looked like a pretty convincing PayPal one that wanted me to log into my PayPal account. So probably most of them are just like scammers, but you never, you never fucking know. I mean, look at the yeah, spear phishing email that? that was sent to John Podesta that was apparently the, that? the Russians, you know. That, that Saudi Arabia could have access to your entire cell phone. It's absolutely nuts. But like, yeah. look at the era we're living in. I mean, the, the Edward Snowden leaks, the Vault 7s leaks by WikiLeaks, that just goes to show that we are living in, you know, it's a horrible phrase, I'm going to use it, uh, just because it explains it. Is that we're living in like the era of the Internet of Things, where everything, right. you know, all these new smart devices can monitor you in all these different ways. I mean, even the technology most TVs have in them now have webcams in them and microphones. There is some truth to the idea that this, the new era we're living in is like the, the age of a cyber war. All these it countries probably is. have all the sophisticated hacking software now. And it can really I'm dial I'm just worried about in. what Israel's doing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that, that lobbying, I think I talked to you about this on a previous podcast, but just that, that documentary about the lobby in the UK um, was just astounding. And they haven't released the one. Al Jazeera has not released the hidden camera footage um, in their like six-month investigation in the lobby here because Israel has actually prevented them from doing so. So I don't know if they're going to, but damn, the one about the UK was unbelievable what they're doing to smear and destroy activists there. So you can only assume that they're doing that here, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> if not more so. I mean, it makes me, it just concerns me. Right. There's been other people who've mentioned this, but it's like this, you know, we don't live under a literal totalitarian fascist state, but what's different here is there's like an invisible line that we don't know as a journalist operating if we've crossed it until maybe it's too late. We don't know where that line actually is. That's what's scary about trying to do the serious journalism in this country, trying to threaten the powerful. So right. it, it creates an uneasy feeling. And I think that maybe that's what you know they want. We're talking about the people who run this infrastructure. Um, the other big story that just happened was the assassination attempt against Maduro. You know, here Maduro won another six-year presidential term this year. Um, we already know that the opposition boycotted um, for the most part, even though there were two people who ran against him in the election, because their whole plan is to seize power by undemocratic means. So staging these violent insurrections, whether it be the Guarimbas that I was in the middle of um, and I saw firsthand the violence that they, uh, you know, propel to try to do this, to try to create this this humanitarian crisis, international call for regime change by saying Maduro is doing all this stuff. So this is the next stage that they're trying to do. They basically know that he's in power. They can't do anything democratically. So they're going to try to kill him. Um, there was already that attempted, remember the helicopter with that guy um, who was lauded as like the hero of Venezuela. And now there was two drones with C4 attached, um, two intercepted drones carrying a kilo of explosives of C4 that were capable of affecting damage within a radius of 50 meters. Holy shit. And you can see the video footage, Maduro's speaking at this military event and this explosion happens and you could see everyone's just like freaked out and, and all of his bodyguards come with these giant bulletproof blankets and like surround him and, and whisk him off stage. And then apparently there was another one. They're very lucky that no one died. I think several people were injured. Um, this is coming right after Trump's plans to uh, infiltrate his inner cabinet. That was just a story that came out a couple weeks ago that there was plans within the Trump administration to um, sow discord with his immediate inner circle. 
Um, so that's what they're already doing. We already know that the U.S. tried to kill Chavez multiple times. I mean, he, they actually could have very well done that with the weaponized cancer that we know actually exists. Uh, they've tried to kill Fidel Castro, you know, hundreds of times. I mean, this is a thing. So these drones that exploded, people are already saying, oh, it's a false flag to a Maduro false flag to try to gain sympathy. Why? Why would you immediately think that? The opposition's proven themselves to to do this, to stage these violent insurrections. We know that they're working with the Colombia. Colombia just joined NATO. We know what the U.S. is doing in Colombia. We know who just won in Colombia. This crazy paramilitary right-wing death squad's uh, sympathizers who want to abolish the peace deal with the FARC. So all of this combined... We know that the CIA, we know that the U.S. backs the right-wing opposition. We know that they work closely together. We also know that the right-wing opposition worked closely with the Colombian government and these paramilitary squads to carry out these actions. Um, Maduro said after this assassination attempt, he said, quote, they have tried to assassinate me today. Everything points to the Venezuelan ultra-right and the Colombian ultra-right. And the name of Juan Manuel Santos is behind this attack. So that's really interesting because that was the former president of Colombia. Mm -hmm. He says, I must inform that they have been captured, those who attempted to take my life, and they are being processed. The investigation is very advanced. I can tell the Venezuelan opposition that I guarantee you can live in this country peacefully. If something happens to me, however, you will have to face millions of campesinos and humble people making justice with their own hands. I am alive, and I can tell you after this attempt, I am even more determined to fight the revolution. The preliminary investigation indicates that many of those responsible live in the U.S., in the state of Florida. I hope the Trump administration is willing to fight terrorist groups that commit attacks in peaceful countries in our continent, in this case, Venezuela. Wow, that is just incredible that he already is linking this attack back to Miami wow. and Colombia. That's nuts. We'll see what happens. But, you know, the question remains, what is the U.S. media going to say about this? Are they going to call it meddling? Are they going to say that this is, you know, destabilization efforts on behalf of the U.S.? Or are they just going to be like, oh, too bad it didn't go off. Too bad it didn't kill them. Because we got to do something, right? <laughs> well, this, I mean, just following up on, on this, I looked into just the chronology of, I mean, because we've been hearing talk for a while that the Trump administration has been sort of eyeballing Venezuela for regime change, but just some of the details of that is um, in July 2017, Pompeo at the Aspen Institute during a Q&A um, session hinted that they're actively working to change the, um, the government of Venezuela. And he actually said that he's hopeful that there can be a transition in Venezuela and we, the CIA, is doing its best to understand the dynamic there. It's just, that's so, so crazy because going back to the whole, like, we don't meddle thing and how the VOA is like different than what Russia is doing itself. I mean, what the fuck do you call this? That we're changing, we're, we're looking to ch have a transition. Well, they just won a democratic election for the next six years. So what the hell are you actually talking about? It's absolutely nuts, Abby. And um, it was just actually confirmed this July that the Trump administration was actually asking his advisors about invading Venezuela with U.S. troops in 2017. So it was just like leaked very, like almost a year later that that actually was true. So that links up perfectly with this Pompeo statement that they must have been actually putting this, 
on paper, gaming this out. Really disturbing. Um, and nine hours ago, actually, from the time we're recording this podcast, John Bolton and the White House officially responded to the claims by Maduro and saying that the U.S. had nothing to do with this assassination attempt with this drone and C4 explosives. I totally believe John Bolton. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up, Bolton. Yeah. So, um, and remember when that last coup attempt happened against Maduro, where the people, the coup potters actually recorded a video of themselves with like ski masks yeah. on. Everybody yeah. was like, oh, this is like so obviously fake. Maduro filmed this. Fuck this shit. This is all staged. And it's just like, no, dude. It's just so strange how everything is just so locked down. Like you would think yeah. that a bunch of people right now would be like, oh, damn, like Trump is trying to. Like, even the resistance would be like, right. wow, Trump is trying to start another war in Venezuela. Wag the dog style. What a crazy motherfucker trying to get out of the Mueller investigation. Like No, no instead they're like, Maduro's it. an evil dictator. Look at him. He's trying to pretend like he got bombed because he's so crazy and wants to hold <laughs> on to power. That's what the that's what the resistance is saying. So, it's pretty so warped strange. reality, isn't it? Very, very Yeah, this strange. is all staged. All of it's fake. Um, I even saw someone post some fascist, like, a neo-Nazi rag in Greece because we know how strong the fascist party is with the Golden Dawn and all of that. But um, one of their rags was basically echoing this kind of like Infowars-esque narrative here. It said that the fires, which are also out of control in Greece, were, were um, energy weapons by the Rothschilds. Oh my God, Abby, that's so interesting you said that because, wow, I didn't, so I didn't even hear about that. But I, so you remember Michael Ledeen, PNAC yeah. neocon who kind of actually split with the Bill Crystals and the Kagans and, and this very pro-Trump. He wrote an article on July 12, 2018, 2018, called Trump and the Iranian Revolution that ends with, I do not doubt that Khamenei would approve an effort to kill Trump. He would love that. I rather suspect that his agents have acted against us here in the homeland. Things like forest fires. Pardon me? So basically, Michael Ledeen is saying that the Iranian government is actually behind the forest fires in California. <laughs> is there much of a difference between what you just described and what he's saying? There really oh isn't. Oh my God. But instead of ascribing it to the Jews or the Rothschilds, he's ascribing it to like the evil Muslim, the Islamic mm. you know, conspiracy to destroy the West. Yeah, that's so the fire tornadoes are actually a weapon mm -hmm. from the Iranian government. Oh, that actually makes so much more sense than climate change. Thanks. Yeah. And I was trying that's to great. like make this point the other day that like this is the true face of neoconservatism that like crystal and kagan and the max boot have like put a mask over mm -hmm. like this is how oh, this absolutely. is how they still think this is how people in the u.s government think like these are how crazy some of the people running things think mike pompeo the head of the cia believes in the rapture he believes in frank gaffney's muslim conspiracy theories i mean this is it's real Shit's real. Yeah, it must be nice to just believe that all of this is just um, meant to be extracted for, uh, you know, for corporations because God gave it to us and all, you know, nothing's sacred and this life isn't really our life and that the afterlife is really the real life. I mean, it must be really amazing to just actually believe that because none of this has any repercussions for you. Yeah. This is just all a fucking game. Yeah, and apparently the neocon logic for wanting to take down Iran eventually because they think it's inevitable that they're going to get a nuke is because the religious jihadists who are suicidal, they'll, they'll be martyrs yeah. and just blow up a nuke because they don't care about killing themselves in the process. Yeah, the religious fanaticism, but it's only because it's masked within power. Like the mm -hmm. power dynamic of having religious fanatics running the empire somehow 
um, is better than than ISIS religious fanatics, I guess, mm-hmm. because they're barbaric because they don't have nukes. Yeah, I mean it's a strange thing because the neocons are crazy enough, but at least they're not actually evangelical. Right. To have like evangelical style neocons running things, I mean that's a whole other layer of mentally unstable thinking. Right. Added into yeah. the mix. And you know Maduro saying what he did is totally true when he says that if something happens to him, there is going to be a civil war. And people can listen to my reports on Venezuela and to learn more about why um, it is so divided and blah, blah, blah. But, but he's right about the, the millions of people that block that really are diehard Chavistas will go in the streets armed, take justice within their own hands. Like he said, I mean, this is not going to be pretty. They're not going to hand over the country to the oligarchs who they, um, wrestled it from with the revolution easily. And they're not going to hand it over to U.S. capitalists easily. So it's really unfortunate that this is happening right now. Well, yeah, they've been demonizing Venezuela for years in the U.S. press. Maduro. So Yeah. Even, even Chomsky was just on Democracy Now! and said that Ortega should step down. It's like, I'm sorry, what? Like, exactly the same thing is happening in Nicaragua. I mean, um, Dan Kavalik and Max Blumenthal were on the ground and they basically have been documenting the same exact thing with the death toll. All these NGOs, Ken Roth, all these idiots who run these think tanks and stuff are just parroting the death toll as if Ortega's forces just went and massacred 300 people in the streets. It's the exact same thing where these opposition people um, are going mask vigilante style and burning down public radio stations and schools and, you know, creating these flaming blockades and lynching people. Huh? How weird. I had no idea he was uh, saying that. But it's not the first time that I've been disappointed. I mean, I'm constantly disappointed with democracy now. Their their coverage on the Facebook taking down those pages was abominable. Who did they have on? Do they have a guest? The most generic as fuck, middle of the road dude who you wouldn't even see on CNN. Really? Talking about, I mean, I had to. Tur- we had to turn it off. We were so Jeez. insulted. No, it was just straight up like this was the next Russian meddling. Should we talk about the Facebook pages now? Yeah, I mean, um, I was just going to ask you if Democracy Now! mentioned the fact that um, the Atlantic Council is actually one of the primary groups um, monitoring these pages and, and advising Facebook on which ones to take down. Facebook suffered this this huge stock loss. So 20% fall in Wall Street, I guess that was like the biggest loss in the history of any corporation where they lost like the value of $120 billion in one day. Facebook is trash. I absolutely hate it. And it's kind of like bound to happen that this was going to, that it was going to crash and burn. But what did Facebook do as a response? Well, they just went, did a preemptive strike where they removed 32 Facebook pages that they claimed were part of the inflammation of social and political tensions in the U.S., I'm reading from Rolling Stone. Matt Taibbi wrote a great article about this where he says, you know, that their activity was similar and in some cases connected to that of Russian accounts during the 2016 election. So then it goes on to say that Facebook stated that it did not know the source of all the pages. They might be Russian or they might just be, you know, sowing division, whatever the fuck that means. So that's a huge wide range of possibilities there. And it turns out that they actually proved none of it. None of it was proven. Um, some of the pages were about black rights. Um, one was called Black Elevation, showed a picture of Huey Newton. Um, another one was called Azatlan Warriors. 
um, containing a meme of Geronimo giving thanks for their service in the 500-year war against colonialism. Another band page was called Mindful Bean, um, which just shared kind of like Jack Handy style, like little updates. Um, and the biggest one of all, which I think is the most uh, offensive, was the No Unite the Right to page, which was a counter-protest organization or organizing effort against the Unite the Right rally, the neo-Nazi rally, of course, which killed Heather Heyer, that's coming up in Washington, D.C. this month in August, a legitimate event page, a legitimate group, legitimate organizing efforts by legitimate activists that was banned by not only Facebook, but talk about who the Atlantic Council is, Robbie. Yeah, I mean, the people on the board include Henry Kissinger, former CIA chief Michael Hayden, former acting CIA head Mike Morell, who was the guy who was on the Charlie Rose show, who said that we need to kill Russians and Iranians in Syria to teach the Russians a lesson. Former Bush Department of Homeland Security Chief Michael Shertoff, the person who invented the color-coded terror threat alert system <laughs> um, that Tom Ridge used to trot out during the, the most horrifying times during the Bush administration. So, oh, and as well as um, United Arab Emirates is also partially one of the funders of it. And also NATO actually funds the Atlantic Council. Yeah, it's very strange that a D.C. think tank like the Atlantic Council that was really on the tip of the spear as far as transatlantic, Eastern European, the Eastern Bloc, NATO relations, like they were pushing a lot of more aggressive, hawkish positions having to do with Ukraine and all these different things really early on. I mean, that like I remember when I was making a very heavy agenda one and two, a lot of the clips I was pulling were from Atlantic Council talks. So they were they kind of at the time reminded me of like Brookings or the CFR. They were kind of in that mold, more neoliberal, but very focused. I didn't realize how much cons- neocons they had on their board, like straight up war criminals. I mean, yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, but all these think tanks, you know, right. if you look at their all their members and all their board members, I mean, there's a lot of crossover with a lot of these right. dangerous, you know, crazy neocons. I'm trying to think of what other entities. Oh, yeah. Snopes is also one of the people who sits on the board. Um, Google um, now um, has, I don't know if they work with the Atlantic Council, but there's this is an increasing trend, basically, is having these think tank entities and these like, you know, arbiters of what's true or not, what's fake news or not, to like look through this material. And basically, the I think the overall larger point here is that the left is the target. Really dissenting left opinions are the target here, but also like dissenting right opinions too. I mean, um, they closed down uh, InfoWars Facebook page recently too. This is an, an unrelated event. And I have really mixed feelings about that because I do think that you there's too many people out there who would, for example, say anyone who still talks about, you know, for example, anything 9-11 truth related, they're conspiratorial like Alex Jones, and they should also be shut down. So I think it's too, it really is a slippery slope. And I do think in Matt Taibbi's article, he actually goes through and explains why, Al, you know, he thinks that they shouldn't shut down InfoWars either. And I can't help but agree with that point of view. I think that it's, you really are getting into slippery slope territory. Unless Alex Jones starts overtly threatening violence against people, like on a regular basis. And he has insinuated it though. See, it's the problem. I, and you know, so it's like, that's why I said I have mixed feelings about it because like at a certain point I could see Alex Jones just going more rabid and crazy and getting to the point where I'm like, okay, now he's actually, 
it's almost like he's a canary in the coal mine to try to like lock free speech down. I mean, I'm not saying he's like a plant. Yeah. But I don't know. There's, I have a lot of feelings about it, but I don't want to go too much down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, well, Matt Taibbi has been one of the only sane voices For on sure. this whole Russiagate narrative. He's been very uh, and mainstream astute. ones too. He's, oh yeah, I mean, he he's one of the only people out there that's really saying, "Hold on, who is actually monitoring this speech and censoring it, and talking about who's on these councils and why it's so goddamn dangerous?" So I really appreciate that. Um, he, he makes a good point. He says, when Facebook works with the government and these wannabe star chamber organizations like the Atlantic Council to delete sites on national security grounds using secret methodology, it opens the door to nightmarish possibilities that you'd find in dystopian novels. The sheer market power of these companies over information flow has always been the real threat. That's why breaking them up should have long ago become an urgent national security or national priority. I mean, and he, that couldn't be more true. I mean, instead of in, instead of emboldening these bizarre, opaque organizations that are full of neoconservative like war criminals, we should have broken up the monopolies of all these social media organizations. Why are we giving them more power? And it's all like behind the scenes. And remember, we've talked about this before that Mark Zuckerberg, when all the Russiagate stuff first broke, he was like, this is totally not true. Like Facebook didn't, you know, he was like, that's absurd to insinuate that Facebook had anything to do with this. And now his tune has changed so much. He's actually acquiescing preemptively. And I think part of the reason why is because they don't want to take the blame for something like this again. It got too close. Like, do you see how much pressure there was against Facebook during this whole fiasco? Somehow Twitter managed to dodge that. And I don't know why right. that was, but Facebook got a lot of public heat. I mean, just even the fact that Facebook had to go testify. I I mean, I hate Zuckerberg. I think he's a total piece of shit. But I thought that was a kind of a little bit unfair in a weird way that he had to go get grilled. And all these other companies didn't. I mean, but I'm not saying that they should have been grilled too. I mean, but yeah, Matt Taibbi's point is, is the important point here is not just that they should have broken these companies up a long time ago. They should have been like heavily regulated. And not allowed right. to be this powerful a long time ago. Right. I mean, it's and it's too late. It's like, how do you, what do you oh, do now? Like late. Google, Facebook, Twitter, you know, even just the fact that Twitter, Twitter was one of the holdouts for a while. Like they were still chronological. It was still democratized. You'd see everybody's tweets in order. You can still post porn on Twitter. I mean, you still can actually do that. But now it's just like Twitter's just ruined like the rest of them. You don't even see people's mm-hmm. tweets. They even admitted, mm-hmm. oh, no, we don't shadow ban, but you just have to click on the person's page now to see their tweets if you don't see them in your feed. And it's like, wait, what? Like, I thought the no, whole point exactly was that Facebook they all come did. through the feed. But no, I mean, it's just all there. That, they, that's how they got us to buy in. They got us to buy in oh, yeah. that way by making us think it was fair and democratized. And yeah, I've, I even tried to buy an ad on Facebook to get out our Russia meddling um, breakdown, and it said it violated the terms of service. And I even like waited two weeks to try to sign this document that came to my personal address to prove my identity. And even after all of that, it still denied the ad. So it's like I can't even pay to even reach the followers that we've accumulated over the last 10 years on Facebook, even if I wanted to. Yeah, and it's it's really unfortunate because, like, yeah, conservatives are turning the concept of shadow banning into a political partisan issue. But it's a larger issue that I think is very real because, look, let's face it, I don't think it's paranoid to think that Facebook probably is like, wait, she worked for Russia today. Like, why should we – like, you might be, like, red flagged even. 
Oh yeah, I no, mean it's such a Twitter, simple thing. It's like, wait, she worked for a Russian propaganda channel. Oh yeah, and and you look at Twitter on Media Roots Twitter page and mine. If you go to our profiles, it still says similar accounts are David Ike, Alex Jones, and like other like alt right crazy people. And that could even go into the realm of like what the algorithm is designed to do because it's been proven recently that Google, especially YouTube's algorithm, somehow favors alt-right Sandy Hook conspiracy, like the craziest type of conspiracy Mm -hmm. shit. So that kind of goes along with our more, maybe more paranoid theories from a few years ago, thinking why is the internet being so flooded with these more crazy and right-wing conspiracies? But if the algorithm is designed to favor those, then the question becomes, was that intentional? Is someone telling them to do that? Juke the stats of the algorithm to do that? And why? I mean, this is just all speculation. Eventually, you kind of have to wonder, are we being bombarded with this kind of shit eventually so that at a certain point it'd be like, well, then we have to lock all of it down now because... Yeah, I even tried it doing research on Google now after this entire Russia crackdown, Russia propaganda crackdown is, is virtually impossible. Like I feel so bad for people who don't know where else to look to get news because it really is impossible to find alternative media if you're just searching random issues through Google now. It's just corporate media centric for like the first five to six pages. Yeah. And it's nothing new. I mean, it's if you really want to look back on the history of Google, I mean, look at Google video. That whole thing was like the most the top three most popular videos were going to be on the front page of their site. And that's what everybody thought, you know, be like a random new video a day would get the most views. And then all of a sudden, Loose Change became the most popular video. And then it just disappeared from their front page. And it's like, oh, so it's actually, they they curate that when it's like a controversial video. But then as a corporation, it starts to make sense because it's like, what if like a racist video became the most popular right. video? So then there's, it becomes this gray area. You have to have like a, an ideological or just like a discussion about what where is the line drawn. But all these companies don't have to follow the First Amendment, so they just draw it arbitrarily wherever they want. I mean, depending on the climate at the time. So it's just, it's, it's, but then when you get into it where it's this climate's being forced on us now that all this, all these things that seem like extreme left and extreme right views are all Russian propaganda, then it's, it gets, becomes really dangerous because then it's like, then it, it seems like the direction is to shut all of it down. Yeah. And this guy, the organizer with Shut It Down DC, speaking of Shut It Down, um, he says to Huffington Post, who Huffington Post was one of the few outlets that actually covered this fairly where they interviewed the people who were involved in these Facebook pages, you know, giving them a chance to explain that they're actually not Russian agents or dupes. Um, This guy says the really harmful part of it is the slander of it. Andrew Batcher says an organizer with shut it down DC, the umbrella group organizing the protest quote, the idea that people are thinking that this real legitimate protest is being organized by Russian bots. That's an incredibly irresponsible story to be telling. Um, Solidarity Seville Charlottesville um, on on July 31st uh, talks about how, oh, they just have a press release basically just saying exactly what happened. Um, and, and basically they just said bot-like activity similar to previous Russian-linked accounts. Like what the fuck does that even mean? One page caught in the fray was, you know, the No Unite the Right rally. And it was hosted by a coalition of groups that are provably real, including Black Lives Matter DC, and smash racism, DC. These are very valid 
um, groups that you can easily find out who runs them and who they are. And they just make the point that this is homegrown. They're like, just like white supremacy is homegrown, they're like, um, organizing against white supremacy is also homegrown. This has nothing to do with Russia. It's, it's just so strange. It's just so strange. I mean, because even if everything, you look at everything in total, it's, I just still don't understand why so many people believe this narrative is really controlling all this stuff. I, I just don't understand it. Uh, um, and it scares me. Because I've seen people that I respect and like fall for it over time the longer this goes on. And it just really scares me. I, I just don't understand yeah. where it's going to go. Yeah, and the polarization is so strong that you have these free speech warriors, these people who want to cover themselves in the banner of free speech to basically just be racist pieces of shit. They're the ones who are going and sending death threats to like artists who are putting up anti-Trump artwork. I remember during the Bush administration, I remember how crazy art um, depicting the Bush administration was. I don't, I, what I don't remember is brown shirt little mobs sending death threats to people actually criticizing their dear leader. That's what's new about this era. So you have that Portland art gallery that had to take down their anti-Trump artwork because of the death threats being given to the gallery owner. You have a socialist bookstore in London that was just ransacked by Trump supporters. Some A dozen crazy right-wingers descended on this bookstore, destroyed the shop, tore up all the displays, they tore up all the books. They were carrying placards reading British Bolshevik cult. One of the guys was wearing a Donald Trump mask, and this was coming off of this far-right protest in London against the censorship of InfoWars, where they were wearing Make Britain Great Again hats. It's just the most insane thing to like shroud yourself in this thing that you're actually trying to assault on oh a daily God. basis. I mean, and it's also really dangerous. I was just thinking about how much better the right has been at coordinating these international solidarity movements against like immigrants and shit. Yeah. Like that the fact that like... Infowars has like a UK branch and so does Breitbart. It's like how many like left leaning media outlets have like UK presence or European well, presence? We don't have billions of dollars. We don't have I mean, billionaires it just, it just really goes to show that, man, we're in a really dangerous situation. Like we're, re it's, it's, they're way ahead of us in terms of that, like just that outrage, you know, engine. Like they've gotten, oh man, it's, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't mean to sound depressing, but it's just really scary to think about like how much solidarity there's with those like Tommy Robinson bullshit and the Get Stone Institute um, that John Bolton sits on the board of that Infowars republishes on a daily basis now. That's like an anti-Muslim think tank in the UK. This Unite the Right rally is coming up in DC and the Metro police there who have a history of obviously working with Nazis and protecting Nazis too, they decided that they're going to clear out three of the metro cars just for the Nazis. Um, so this is this is coming, and who knows what is going to happen there. These free speech rallies and stuff, there was just another one in Portland. Hundreds of, and I'm reading from Raw's story right now, it's called the Patriot Prayer, but they labeled it the Freedom March under free speech, right? So hundreds of far-right protesters from as far away as Florida. So I guess the shining light of the story is that even though this was galvanized from all over the country, there were only a couple hundred of these people. And then the counter protesters were so many more. And those were just local people. It's not like people came from all over the country to counter protest these Nazis and stuff. The horrible thing that happened was that the cops ended up almost killing someone again. Did you hear about that? This guy no. got shot with a, like with like a, a tear gas oh, canister, yes, point blank Sorry. range, Scott Olson style. 
His head, he would have died if he wasn't wearing a helmet. Let's just say that. You can see the photos, the helmet, the thing went through his goddamn helmet. It's just amazing. All they do is show up to protect the Nazis and the Nazis just get off on it. They love it. You know, they're just protected by these riot police because how punk rock is that to just stand behind a line of riot cops who are actually almost killing protesters on your behalf? Um, Roship Medics, a collective that provided first aid, said that at least three people were hit with flashbang grenades and two were sent to the hospital. You know, I was standing next to Scott Olson when he got hit with that flashbang grenade. He almost died. It's not a joke. These are not um, non-lethal weapons. The, that there's a reason why they're called less yeah, than lethal yeah. because they can kill you. It's, it, this guy almost died. He's lucky that he's fucking alive. You know, there's, and, and these people like to claim, oh, we're not fascists. Oh, whoa, you're saying everyone there's a Nazi. These people are wearing right wing death squad shirts that say Pinochet was right. On the back of their shirts, they're throwing communists out of helicopters. Pinochet was undeniably a fascist. He didn't just kill communists. Even if you believe that sadistic, insane notion that communists should be killed because they believe in communism, well, Pinochet didn't just kill communists. He killed thousands of people that were just sympathetic or were anti-Pinochet under the banner of killing communists. Robert so, Perry did some incredible, I mean, some certain journalists, you know, um, who did some really valuable work back then about just the amount of just, yeah, civilians that Pinochet was having yeah. people just murder. Senselessly. Peasants. Peasants. Yeah. And mass so, burial, and, and all these, and a lot of graves. these, I mean, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. A lot of these guys had Blue Lives Matter shirts on. So again, it's like the signaling to the cops that they're part of them and that they're their friends. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, again, the cops will work with Nazis and they will do everything they can to protect them. Just like last year, almost a year ago in Charlottesville, It's Going Down, a really great anarchist-based organization that has interviewed me a couple times. They interviewed this um, black journalist from Charlottesville that got stabbed. And, you know, what did the cops do after this guy got stabbed? Well, they robbed him. They took all of his shit. They erased his footage. And then it turned out that they were actually working with the Nazis to, like, spy on him and other black activists and journalists there. And they just continue to, to just use this free speech banner. And Matt Taibbi kind of goes over the free speech history of how like free speech has been weaponized also links to this other article that talks about how conservatives like switched the argument, how it used to be like, oh, yeah. you know, you, that classical liberal thing. And now that they're, they're the free speech warriors. Adam Johnson posted this from FAIR, but I think that the data comes from somewhere else. I'm not sure, but it says that, you know, this whole like college campus hysterical argument on behalf of people like Candace Owens and Turning Point USA and stuff that say that conservatives are being persecuted, the whole Jordan Peterson mantra. Actually, 75% of college faculty, quote, fired, resigned, or denied promotion due to political speech in 2017 were left, were politically left. Um, but that doesn't change the New York Times' coverage of it because the coverage of campus free speech during roughly the same time focused on threats to conservative speech, seven to one, probably parroted by Barry Weiss. It's just so nuts to think about this intellectual dark web concept I was thinking about today. And, and I was just thinking, mm -hmm. wow, but I've seen Ben Shapiro on Fox News oh, once a week constantly. at least. Oh, I just heard him on the on FM radio driving home. How is he suppressed in the mainstream? You would never see someone who's a leftist get that much airtime on anything unless they're being like bashed. I mean, and then even then they wouldn't do it because it's like too risky. Yeah. And while this mantra of the free speech warriors and these battles with Antifa, meanwhile, um, Charles Koch, 
and the Mercer family are sowing discord here um, under the right-wing Goldwater Institute. This is a think tank that is proposing model legislation that's already been implemented across the, the nation that is going to basically expel students for protesting speakers. <laughs> so it's this whole free speech thing taken to the logical conclusion under the conservatism of these people to pretend like they're the free speech warriors and they're defending free speech while meanwhile the right-wing billionaires that are funding these assholes to promote this fake argument is actually actually shutting down free speech. Um, so this is what's happening. It was a Project Censored story from last year. I'll link it in the timeline so you can read what is going on. It's called the Campus Free Speech Act. Really what they're saying is, oh, we want to make sure everyone's like safe and has you know the safe zones and isn't like threatened by like Antifa mobs when they're coming to try to speak. So really what that means is anyone who protests, these people will get expelled from school. So that's great. Really, really care about free speech, guys. God damn. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's just so yeah. depressing. I mean, yeah, we and and I'll just mention this very quickly because it's not it was something I wanted to talk about more in depth, but we've been going for so long already. But like just another example of the disingenuous of this right wing talking points. James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, was fired recently for all these dredged up tweets he made that were jokes about like pedophilia and rape. And they were mostly dredged up by Mike Cernovich and Jack Posobiec. And instead of using that technique that they claim is the left's technique, using it against them, because James Gunn's an anti-Trump, instead of just saying that they were, you know, trying to get him fired because Roseanne was fired for making this racist tweet, let's give him a taste of their own medicine, they actually went out and said that James Gunn might be a pedophile. That that these aren't jokes. Wow. That who would joke about this? We should investigate this guy. You should see some of Cernovich's and these other people's tweets about it. Wait, where did this all come from? Like, why him all of a sudden? I don't why know. Why do they do this campaign and It's strange. Um, I think it's just because he's anti-Trump. I don't understand it. But being a giant corporation, I guess Disney never looked through these tweets before or they already did and they were hoping people wouldn't see them. I'm just surprised that, that Disney didn't already, like, ask him to delete them or something. But that's what's so disturbing about it is they caved to them and then... What was disturbing is this movie called An Open Secret that I actually thought was very well made going through a bunch of these r real convicted Hollywood pedophiles as a documentary. The makers of the film started accusing James Gunn of being a pedophile too and retweeting Mike Cernovich. And I was thinking, wait a second, like why would they be jumping on, you know, onto this? What? Are they just believing, take, taking Cernovich at face value and looking through the lens of him saying James Gunn might be a pedophile and then just running with it? It's totally scorched earth. They don't care. They don't care if it's true or not. It just looks bad, and they could spin it like that. Because of Pizzagate. Oh Let's face God. it, because of Pizzagate. Because of Pizzagate? But also, it's just so insane, because as we know, Jack Savobiak, or whatever the fuck his name is, was one of the main proponents of Pizzagate, and Cernovich is a fucking rapist. Yeah. And literally did talk about how rape isn't a thing, and date rape doesn't exist. I mean, and they are deflecting all of their insanity to actually make successful campaigns to fire people and people are listening to them well it's just so interesting too when you look at all these different right-wing conspiracies and you just look at how many of them are sexual or how many sexual ones they have compared to the left huma abedin and hillary clinton being secret lesbian lovers huma abedin not having a clitoris Jeez, you can go on and on the the, the child sex ring stuff about podesta 
there's so many different ones that are sex in the sexual realm. It's just like, where is this all coming from? Because they know it's so sensationalist and visceral, or is it coming from some like Freudian weird part of their brain that's just repressed? It's coming from a, the fact that we live in one of the most sexually repressed, industrialized countries where sex is used to sell everything. And this heightened state of this larger idea of pedogate. I've even heard this topic come up on like mainstream talk shows recently. The right is trying to push this agenda now where it's a sister conspiracy to pedogate where the real agenda, this is what they say, the actual real agenda of the left and the Democrats is to actually legalize and normalize pedophilia secretly. As Connor has pointed out, there's actually a is a pretty big difference between a child molester and a pedophile. Right. And, and you should, people should look into that. It's not a lot of people conflate the two things. And there's also a difference between people who are sexually attracted to sexually mature teens versus you know right. who aren't legal. Right. They're not pedophiles. No, pedophile is technically someone who's pre attracted to prepubescent. Exactly. Children. Exactly. So like even the idea that Anthony Weiner is a pedophile. That we, all right. the, you know, the right just keeps pumping out day in and day out. That's like, you know, their, their mantra is not necessarily true. He was sexing with a 15-year-old. There's a lot of rumors and stuff about him having child pornography. Even in the legal documentation, it describes him having child porn on his computer. But as we know, the law defines anything that's like under the age of consent as child pornography. So right. we don't know for exactly for sure what was in there. We, we just know this like weird rumor and you know insinuation shit that eric prince and other people put out there into some sick shit we're not going to talk about what we saw on his computer but it was the sickest shit we've ever seen what was it like we don't know you're into some sick shit motherfucker (laughs) fucking eric prince dude (laughs) probably running a fucking pedophile ring in fucking iraq or wherever the hell he where is he hiding out now in the uae yeah and how do we know that like his sister didn't like un uh, like betsy devos who people forget is his sister wasn't the one who tried to hide some evidence on that yacht let it go herself some prankster un uh undocked their yacht and let it drift into the ocean I don't know. Maybe they did that. It was a false flag, dude. Yeah. They just want to gain sympathy because yes, they yes. have nine other yachts. Kevin Spacey's uh, character from House of Cards style, like where he throws the rock through the window. <laughs> Get into Q because I wanted to talk about uh, pedophilia and QAnon, and you've been talking about this for a long, long time, but Robbie, it just reached critical mass. Yeah, well, it's so... Well, just... Be- okay, let's... Let's set up the QAnon discussion by just really quickly okay. talking about the walls closing in with the Mueller investigation. Yes. Because so Rudy Giuliani did an incredible thing. He went on CNN live for 30 minutes straight defending all these new allegations that have been piling up against Trump through the through the Mueller investigation, like right when Manafort was going on trial. And it's one of the worst, I mean, jobs I've ever seen Rudy do uh, so far. It's truly incredible that Trump thinks this is working in his favor. And the things Trump has been tweeting about Mueller, I mean, even today, I mean, he's just something totally out of left field. But like, I was like, oh, damn, like Trump is going for the jugular. He's like, the fake news media is super dangerous. They could start war, exclamation mark. <laughs> and like, all these people are like, oh, my God. Chuck Todd was like, I have to respond to this right now. So Trump seems like he's just totally freaking out about this Mueller investigation Something totally out of left field that Rudy Giuliani threw out during that 30-minute interview because Trump tweeted it that day that why doesn't Mueller talk about the business dispute that we had? Is he going to mention what it was about? Trump tweeted this. 
And then Rudy Giuliani was asked about it. And he's like, well, I can't talk about that. As his lawyer, I'm not allowed to talk about that. And they're like, but what is he even talking about? What? Right. Like, why didn't Trump mention this months ago when he was appointed as the special prosecutor? Why didn't he say there's a conflict of interest here? I had a business uh, dispute with this guy. Why would he throw that out now? It just seems like Trump is being cornered and freaking out. So right. what's so weird about going getting to Q is that I didn't realize this fully until maybe like a month ago that one of the core um, narratives in the Q conspiracy, the QAnon conspiracy, and in case anybody hasn't listened to me and Abby discussed this before, the QAnon is an anonymous 4chan, 8chan poster who since October, I think 17th, 2017, has been posting claiming to be an insider in the Trump administration with Q security clearance who knows that the deep state is trying to take down Trump and he's part of a insider counter coup to take down the deep state with the help of the U.S. military top military intelligence and U.S. military to stop this deep state coup that's comprised of Hillary Clinton, the Obama administration, John Brennan, Comey, all these former administration officials. But one of the interesting parts of this conspiracy that I didn't really understand is that Q also claims that Mueller is not actually investigating Trump is that he is sec- what is he saying he's doing that he is secretly investigating and about to take down all of these deep state coup people wait what and that's, so it's like a pro Mueller twist yes Mueller is a white what? secret white hat and it's all a smokescreen and a distraction so even Rudy Giuliani's performance on TV that was just like beautiful Oscar winning acting on the part of Rudy oh, wow. Giuliani so it's getting Trump's super crazy complex. unhinged tweets where he's getting mad at Mueller every day and throwing out business dispute shit that's all part of the plan oh wow cool and I didn't realize this actually until the media so this is what was so interesting and why we're talking about it again is the media finally had to talk about this QAnon conspiracy when I say the media, I mean the mainstream media, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, Vice News, all started doing segments on it because Trump's Pennsylvania rally that was like a week ago, and I don't know if this is why they decided to do it. Maybe I, I mean, I'm not sure what the decision was that made them finally cover it, but at his rally, there was like maybe like 50 or 60 people with Q signs and Q shirts all taking up the video frame of his speech at the rally. There was like a guy with like a huge Q cutout was covering his nuts. entire body. It was yeah. like a bodysuit. A colored and magic marker. You could see he ran out of ink on like the magic American marker flag. and had to like use a new mm-hmm. one like to fill it in. It was absolutely crazy. I mean, I was watching... Oh, what was even weirder is um, Trump tweeted... Uh, a um, And keep in mind, Q has claimed that he's close to Trump personally and that Trump has been winking and nodding and hinting at Q's existence the whole time. So this is part of the conspiracy also is that Trump knows about it and he approves of it and that they're together and trust the plan to drain the swamp and destroy the deep state. After this rally, Trump actually posted a video of it. And the very first frame of the video was a guy waving a giant Q symbol like at zero dash zero zero into the video. And I was just like, what the fuck? That's nuts. Like this is the video that the White House released officially. Are they now? So, so, so the discussion, I mean, this is what's so weird is that then there is a debate here, not to me, not anymore 
See, because, and then maybe this makes me seem crazy, is I am leaning towards the idea now that Trump's White House is winking and nodding to QAnon, but the idea of Q being actually close to Trump is, we have no idea if that's actually true. It could just be the Trump White House winking and nodding to it because they approve of what its goal seems to be, which is to lock down and make Trump's base stay intact and have all this faith that he's actually draining the swamp and that he's not going to get impeached and that the Mueller investigation is actually the opposite of what it seems. So let me just give credit to Pierce Redman of Porkins Policy because I, I had this, was having this discussion with them and I was like telling them, you know, that actually kind of convinced me that there actually is some kind of truth to the idea that this person is close to Trump. And he's like, well, what about if it's just... Trump no Trump's people know about this QAnon anonymous poster and want to wink and nod to it, even if they're not, you know, it has nothing to do with them. And I'm like, oh shit, like that actually could work. That's maybe even more likely. So Sarah Sanders was actually asked about Q for the first time in a press conference and in the White House by a Newsmax reporter. She totally dodges and ignores the question and says she doesn't approve of any like violent fringe protesters like coming to Trump's rallies. Jared Holt of Right Wing Watch has been um, actually doing a lot of uh, good coverage on Q. And he thinks, you know, he thinks that that's also possible that at this point, it does seem like by not, by omitting it at the very least, by the Trump administration not addressing it and letting it go on for this long, that they actually are actively encouraging it, sort of like winking and nodding to it. So that's very possible, I think. There were all these rumors that came out that Cernovich spread saying that Trump's Secret Service removed people's Q signs at the rally. And Sean Hannity, right around this time where Q said the biggest drop, the world is going to like change forever, the month of August 2018, Sean Hannity, who's already not just dog whistled to Q, but retweeted Q and non-promoting uh, Twitter accounts, told Mark Levine at the end of his uh, broadcast that the Mueller witch hunt won't matter in a month because something big is about to come out that'll blow it out of the water. And that's, I mean, that seems to be directly referencing the Q posts that like happened that week. That's what's so bizarre about all this. I just, it's just crazy that this has gone on this long. CNN, MSNBC, media is finally starting to cover it, but Sean Hannity has been like sort of winking to it for a while. And there's something about these 3,000 sealed indictments that all the Q followers believe is actually secretly the Obamas and the Clintons and all these people who are part of this deep state coup to try to remove Trump from office that are actually going to be indicted at the end of all this. And uh, it's it's really strange. I mean, I don't even know what else to say about it. So, Robbie, one of the craziest things to me about this um, was how non-fringe the QAnon thing is at first you know you've been talking about this for so long because you've been plugged into this like subculture but it is so fucking mainstream that we're talking about one rally here it's not that QAnon people came from all over the country like the unite the right thing to show up this is his base <clears throat> I mean it's very very yeah I mean it's hard to actually gauge I don't know how many if there's actually been any polls done to see how many of his supporters or how many people on the right believe in this. But seeing it in a Pennsylvania rally, all these local people mostly um, wearing these shirts and holding these signs, I think was just very revealing of how how many people in his base actually believe in this. It, it really all came to a head. I think that's part of why the mainstream media decided to cover it at that point. 
Why do you think they let them in the rally with all the, you know, like they vet people to be yeah, yeah, Trump yeah. and stuff. Why do they let them in? Well, that's, I mean, that's when I'm leaning towards the idea now that Trump's own people are winking and nodding to this and letting it go on forever or just letting it go on on purpose because they think somehow it helps them. But, you know, Q has been trying to convince all his followers that he's actually not just um, approved by Trump, but that he's like close to Trump. And then he's in communication with him. So it just gets really weird because on this Vice News special that they did about it, a guy sat down with two of his Q supporters who were at the rally who the, like Vice News spotted wearing Q memorabilia, Q shirts. They went back to their house like the day after, I think, to interview them about it. In a lot of ways, a lot of the things they were saying, I was like surprised. The guy was like going through all these different conspiracies. He's like, do you believe in the JFK conspiracies? Do you believe in this, this? And the things that they believed and didn't believe, I was like, well, you know, they're actually kind of like more intelligent in some ways than like the average conspiracy theorist. I was a little bit surprised at first. So the president points at you. How quickly after that did you know that like this had become a big deal? I was driving home, and he jumped on his iPad. <laughs> yes, I always go to the Great Awakening on Reddit. It's like my site for the queue. And somebody said uh, to the guy with the queue, cut out. Q's looking for you. <laughs> and I guess Q did post while we were there. Trump pointed you out purposely. We had no clue. And then everybody's like, Q and half the world's looking for you. <laughs> it's confirmed. Yeah. Confirm what's confirmed? Confirmed that it's Trump. It's not him, but it's the Q team, and he validates it by doing those little things, mm-hmm. letting us know that you know he hears us, and you know we're on the same. It's the Q movement team. Is I mean, is this a fun thing to know about? A fun thing to be a part yes. of? It's fun because things get revealed. It's fun because we know before it's going to happen a lot of times. And then they actually said something that I hate to admit kind of like convinced me into thinking that Trump was directly winking and nodding to QAnon um, a few months back. Um, I think it was actually on Easter Day. He was on the White House balcony and the Vice News reporter is like, well, so what, you know, what was one of the things that convinced you that this was real? It was a guy who was actually um, really close to Trump or was like really telling the truth. And they're like, well, he told us to follow the white rabbit. Poster asked Q, is there something, uh, can you get Trump to fit in the phrase tip top to prove that, you know, this is, uh, that, that you're real? And Q said, I'll see what I can do. And then uh, the next day, I guess was Easter, Trump is there on the, the balcony of the White House with a rabbit in a rabbit costume, a white rabbit <laughs> costume. And he said, he goes on a very bizarre rant where he says that, this house, this place, this building, whatever it's called, um, we like to keep it in a, in a tip-top shape. And as some like to say, tippy-top shape. Basically, this that happening convinced thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people into believing that this is definitely real now. And it kind of really personally weirded me out because it do- definitely seems like more than just a coincidence. So, yeah, and then Q wrote, did you watch today? Yeah. Like, he said it. Yep, yep. It's really creepy, and it's even creepier that an article that I collaborated with Whitney Webb on got mentioned by QAnon in a posting. His actual posting was posted on June 28th of 2008. 
He says, desperate agencies do stupid things. Dead cat bounce. You may have the site, but we have the source. Then he links to WikiLeaks tweeting out the article that Whitney Webb and I collaborated on, which was an article in Mint Press News saying that this seems like a neocon slant, that QAnon is pushing Iranian regime change. What is this? Is this some kind of like Trump administration psyop? That's what our article is about. QAnon continues his post saying, panic is good. Panic is right. July 2018, the month the world discovers the truth. Conspiracy no more. Time to feed. So that's interesting because he was saying July was the month, but it's actually already passed now. We're in August and nothing you know big has come out since then. So Follow the white rabbit, Rob. So it's very weird. Um, I, I don't know really what to make of it um, at this point other than just being creeped out by it because what is it? I mean, if and a lot of actually smart people who are hadn't really commented on QAnon before are starting to echo similar sentiments. So I don't feel as crazy anymore for thinking that this actually might be something that Trump's White House is part of. Well, I always thought when you were talking about this, I always thought it was just a shit poster because just you couldn't even spell or you know his grammar was really bad. I mean, it was a complete joke, and I thought it was just you know a shit poster, just basically doing it all for lulls. Until the white rabbit tippy top thing that convinced me that, yeah, Trump is definitely nodding to this shit, just like he nodded to 9-11 truth, just like he nodded to all these conspiracies. That's why he, you know, used Roger Stone as this liaison to um, to bolster the conspiracy community to be on his side. That's why you see the conspiracy culture suddenly um, adulating a sitting president and Infowars now, you know, embracing Trump as as this messiah. So I think it all is part and parcel. I think that Trump knows to keep that base just like he knows to nod to Joe Arpaio's people, the Bundy people. Um, what's sad about watching these people is like you said, they had they like their distrust in the media is valid and they had good things to say about that, but then they'll just go off into this horrible tangent that just is nonsensical. And the fact is, I mean, a lot of the stuff that QAnon is hitting on is true kernels of things that I subscribe to. It's it's interesting how it's weaving. That's what I'm in, saying. Yeah, it's weaving in things that like resonate a lot. A lot of this like fake news media stuff is also being driven by QAnon. I mean, some of the QAnon supporters told CNN as they were walking by, asking these people wearing Q shirts in line for the Trump rally, why why do you support this guy? And the guy's like, "You're CNN. You're fake news." And he's like, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And the guy's like, "You're weaponized by the CIA." That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And that's I was like, I was "Oh like, shit!" What? Like that's like yeah. actually, I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was like wait what but then he like didn't know how to explain it and anderson cooper's like what does that even mean weaponized by the cia it's like you know what that (laughs) means you little fucker you know what that means anderson you're not the best person to comment on that because you actually did work for them yeah or like we're trying to work for whatever that actual had a little internship first i was really obsessed with trying to figure out who it was because i thought it was someone who could have been already a personality in conspiracy world maybe it was roger stone maybe it was and then i then i started getting obsessed with is it close to Trump? Is it is Trump just winking and nodding to it? Is it actually Trump's White House running some kind of disinfo psyop? And then that became less interesting to me because then I thought, well, if it's a if it's close to Trump or not, what's the goal of it? What is the end goal of this? Because it's really powerful, obviously. Like we can't deny anymore. Nobody can deny it. Mainstream media can't ignore it anymore. It's I know. I mean, it's I. Th- I think it's pretty obvious. The end goal is to continue to galvanize this base of people into a seedy, 
nonsense conspiracy that Trump is somehow battling the deep state behind the scenes. It doesn't matter what yeah. he does publicly in a public forum. All that matters is that this narrative is still thriving online and being fed by this Q poster. So these people will still continue, no matter what Trump does or stack his cabinet with deep state neocon war criminals, they'll still say this is all a show follow the white rabbit. There's still things going on behind the scenes, the indictments. And then it just keeps morphing. That's yeah. what I find so fascinating about the Q thing. It's like, it's all encompassing, just like Russiagate. That's why I talk about mass hallucinations on both sides. Just like Russiagate encapsulates everything now, mm -hmm. so does Q and the pedogate thing. It's yeah. everything. It's every arrest. It's every story of a pedophile in the U.S. That's all back to Trump. It's all back to Q. Trump is doing this. You know, he's tweeting, he wants you to pretend, he wants to pretend like he's live tweeting Fox News, but in reality, he's sending out these, the cabal to arrest pedos. And I just had an argument with someone who heard me on the Sam Tripoli show talking about how I, I think it's bullshit and pedogate isn't real. And um, he was like, you know, what about this? And it was just a, a random story about an arrest of a pedophile. I was like, how could you possibly think this is some mastermind operation? It's just a random arrest of some guy. Yeah. And then he was like, well, what about this? Because then it, then it morphed into this, where then he posted how Trump announced that January was like sex trafficking awareness month. This means that he's doing something. And then I just quickly looked up a cursory search of what Obama did about sex trafficking. And Obama actually announced January sex trafficking month. It says a CNN article, President Obama has declared this January National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, marking the U.S. commitment to end human trafficking. So it's basically the same exact shit. Um, Presidential Proclamation, National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, 2017. This was in 2016, December 28th. So they were already doing this during the Obama administration. Trump is just echoing these sentiments with a bunch of fluff and people... But, but it's just all encompassing. People will just point to that and be like, but look, Trump did this. It's like, Trump did what? He literally just released a statement on the White House echoing what Obama did. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of nuts because I feel like it's all coming to a head now where it's like the Trump administration has to make a decision now to address this. Like the press is going to ask them more questions about this, no doubt. Mm -hmm. I think that the press wants to, because... Here's what I think. I think that part of the reason I'm thinking about this a little more as we're talking about that maybe they're realizing now that Trump's administration or just the internet, like it's scary enough to think that Alex Jones could do like the worst case scenario and tell his, tell his followers it's time to like pick up your arms and fight the deep state. That's scary enough. But at the very least, like we know who's behind it. Like it's Alex Jones. He's in Austin, Texas. It's like a tangible. But what if like QAnon does it? An unknown person. Right. There's no accountability. It's so weird. Or traceability. Yeah. The Trump administration, even if they're just winking and nodding to it and have nothing to do with this, they could use it to their advantage to really do some scary shit. I mean, I don't know if that's the goal of whoever's posting as the QAnon thing, but in their own words, they say they're part of a military intelligence secret group of counter deep state coup people who are doing a counter coup. So where does that go? You know, like, where does that fantasy go even if it's just all made up fantasy? It's, it's scary, I think. And uh, I think I'm glad that more people are p taking it seriously now. Actually, I'm worried now that they're going to start, people are going to start saying it's a Russian disinformation operation of some kind. But Sean Spicer, actually in an AMA, 
uh, I think it was maybe even yesterday, was what asked. the fuck is Sean Spicer doing AMA? I know. Is that ridiculous? Jesus. He was asked, is Q legit? And he said, nope. So that's uh, actually the first time anyone from the administration, former or current, has actually shot down it, the idea of it. But he, I think he left like around the same time it started. So Trump will still use it to his advantage because he knows that there's this base of like complete delusional people who will do anything for him because they think that he's fighting the goddamn deep state, whatever that means to them. Mm -hmm. I had people even looking at that legislation, the anti-sex work legislation, as some sort of justification why Trump is actually cracking down on pedos. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, FOSTA-SESTA is, you know, it's typical law enforcement lingo. They describe any, you know, it's basically just trying to crack down on all prostitution under the guise of, quote-unquote, sex trafficking, and mainly like child sex trafficking. So right-wingers can twist all this around and make it seem like it's part of this grander Trump plan, even though like tons of Democrats signed off on this bill. You know, I think only like two people, I think Ron Wyden and Rand Paul were the only ones who voted against it out of the entire Senate. So It is fascinating because um, I did kind of dive headfirst into the pedophilia research because someone that I know from college who was a popular musician um, in San Diego, you know, all the women loved him. Turns out that he is in jail for at least 15 years for pedophilia, straight up um, oral copulation with a minor under 10 years old. So I totally dove headfirst into obsessively researching how this could happen to someone that I knew, how pervasive pedophilia is. It is extremely, extraordinarily pervasive where I think there's been studies, you know, 1% of men could have pedophilic tendencies. I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, you're not going to give your child to someone who you assume is a pedophile. But I guess when you think about pedophiles, you always think like, oh, yeah. Or you see like stories and they always look super fucking creepy when they're arrested. And you're like, oh, well, look at the guy. But like, obviously, the majority of pedophiles are not going to look like pedophiles or act like pedophiles. Like that's why they are so successful at molesting kids. And this happens so constantly. And one of the most shocking statistics about just the rampant pedophilia that exists is that the over 50% of child pornography is actually produced in the United States, which I found very shocking. So there is a huge industry here. And so again, going back to those kernels of truth, it's like, it's almost like the cue, the pedogate people like know like how sexually repressed our society is, how pervasive this is, how it's kind of not really discussed ever. And they're just like preying on this kind of genre um, that is very prevalent here. For sure. And, and they're tapping into something that's like there's something about the 80s. You know, that's coming back in all different forms, you know, whether it be the Cold War 2.0 or if it's the satanic panic stuff. I mean, that was very popular theme in the 80s among evangelicals that there was all these like abortion rituals performed mm-hmm, by these mm-hmm. like people who are sacrificing their babies and raping them and stuff on, you know, worshiping Satan while they were doing it. But at the time, the difference between that and now is at that time, it wasn't like this is something that the Democrats and the left are doing. It was just like, this is something happening, almost like X-Files-y. We don't know where this is happening. It could be happening at the kindergarten down the street. Like, oh my God. Now it's like the left and the Democrats' secret agenda is to normalize pedophilia. 
And someone just sent me like a thing the other day saying this is a TED talk on someone talking about like the age of consent laws and talking about how pedophilia is like a compulsion and how certain people don't act on it and they shouldn't be criminally penalized for. And he was like, look, this is someone trying to like normalize pedophilia. This actually proves what you're saying is not true, that this is part of the agenda. And I'm just like, dude, this is just discussions we should be having as a society. Like, what are you talking about? So it's actually almost like dangerous now to even just talk about something like just the idea of like minors sexting each other. Is that child pornography? Should that be penalized under the law? Like now, some, what is Cernovich going to like listen to the, a podcast where you're talking about that and be like, they're advocating pedophilia? Like it's just so weird that we're it's sunk into that hysterical level when we should be having these discussions because like minors are sexting each other constantly every day. And like they're right. being accused of being sex criminals who get put on a sex offender's watch list when the parents get upset and find out about it. So there should be like discussions about this stuff. In a way, this is almost like another international solidarity movement because like a lot of Britons and, and people in the UK have long believed in this like pedophile conspiracy stuff. Pedogate, larger pedogate right, conspiracy. Right, right, right. So now it's just like boom. But yeah, it's scary. Why, why me. do you think there aren't any like as many cults? as there were during that satanic panic time, like religious cults and like, you know, the even um, Charles Manson and shit, like stuff like that. Well, I think it was kind of like wild West. It was like, um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of those tactics, people were learning them, you know, they were becoming more grassroots, had to like become like a enigmatic, like cult leader type figure. I I think a lot of that stuff is more underground now. I think they still Mm -hmm. exist, but they're like more under the radar. Yeah, they're, like, more designed into the banner of, like, the self-help stuff. Like, that girl from Alex Mack, remember, it came out that she... Oh, my God, yeah. She was, like, recruiting Hollywood people to do, like, some weird sex... Well, uh, that's a really interesting thing because a lot of people will say that that's part of the larger pedogate conspiracy, too. But it's, like... How? You know, it's to me, it's almost just, like, saying it's, like... I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are... You know, there have been circumstances and i've and i believe in certain ones where like elites have engaged in like pedophilia and even in some ways have conspired about that but that's not i just don't understand where this larger idea comes from because most pedophilia you know and molestation victims happen from friends family neighbors Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um peers it's people close it's not elites molesting their children. Yeah, well, it's just like, like it's just like the whole myth about you know the knockout game and all that shit. It's like that you are most likely to get murdered or attacked or raped by someone you know, a family member, and even just like homicides in general. I just read this insane statistic that there's twice as many death by suicides than there are homicides in this country. Isn't that insane? Jesus. Twice as many people kill themselves than are killed. Um, but that's, that's just a side note, but yeah, it's just taking something that is not a thing that, you know, kids are being kidnapped in mass by satanic pedophiles and like pedophile rings than just the normal thing that we should be talking about as a society, that pedophilia is a thing and it happens with people that, you know, um, predominantly. And there's this kind of myth also that like people who are sexually molested as children grow up to be pedophiles. That's actually been debunked. It's not. That's not a thing. And it's also predominantly men, which is a weird thing. Like if it is a mental illness, which, you know, evidence points to that it is a mental deficiency, why is it predominantly men? 
you know, so that that's a weird thing. It's like, but but then again, it can't just be a cultural phenomenon because pedophilia has always existed in human society. So it's just it's just very strange, and it is something that we should be talking about because I was appalled um, that someone that I knew and that seemed completely normal is in prison for this. And so yeah. it's something that you should absolutely be talking about and be aware of. Yeah. But to let it spiral out of control into this insane satanic panic and um, is very strange. True, but I don't think certain forms of child pornography were even illegal here until like the 70s. Like if you actually look at the books, it's very actually interesting to look at sort of the the way that sex laws have been applied in the United States over time, like even the obscenity laws still are on the books, the same ones that were on the books even in the 80s, where two porn producers went to jail. One of them went to jail for like rape simulated, you know, simulated rape porn, um, breaking the obscenity laws. And another one went to jail for having sex with of age women, like, you know, women in their 20s, but having them say they were I'm seven or something in the porn video. And he went to jail for that. But since wow. then, like kink.com and all these companies have been like really pushing the envelope, doing really crazy shit. The obscenity laws aren't being applied, but those are still on the books. The climate's just very interesting when you look at the way the laws are applied. And right now we're in the era where there's even Democratic politicians, even some of the most liberal ones are still buying into this idea this rhetoric that all these laws are to stop sex trafficking when they really are just to crack down on prostitution. Right. And I'm a, I'm a definitely a proponent, at the very least, of the idea of decriminalizing prostitution. I think we should do it right. immediately. It's ridiculous that it's still so illegal here in this country. Yeah, it's stunning that Trump could just, like, issue a little bullshit brief, and then everyone's like, see? He's yeah. doing it. It's like, it's like deeds, not words. But also, doesn't the deeds don't even matter, because there's no evidence for the deed like it doesn't even fucking matter it's like they just point to a random story in louisiana about a pedophile and they're like see yep Follow i mean even QAnon posted that thing where um you know that remember that that antifa apparently that antifa banner that said no pedo bashing nambla yeah, yeah. Um, so QAnon posted that and was like, these people are sick or something. Like What? Even like, though it was a totally obviously fake? Well, yeah. I mean, like, obviously it was fake. But And then he also, QAnon also responded to someone talking about Anderson Cooper and posted a picture of Anderson Cooper with a cardboard cutout of the Honey Boo Boo reality show, child uh, pageant model girl. He had a cardboard cutout of Honey Boo Boo in his office. And they were like, these people are sick. Like, look at the notes. Like, look at his notes closely or something. He was, like, writing notes on a desk, and the picture was, like, too pixelated to see anything. What the fuck? Like, so he's implying that Anderson Cooper's a pedophile? That, those are the kind of things where I'm looking at and thinking, like, maybe, is is this Trump? Like, is he just, like, trying to take revenge out on, like, <laughs> all of his rivals? Like, just implying everyone's a pedophile? Who's his enemy? I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just joking, it's, but it's just so it's fucking insane. crazy. It is. And apparently the Mueller investigation is going to be over in September. So if Trump is actually, let's say he's indicted, like the craziest scenario, like he's not just impeached, but he's indicted. Why aren't more people who are like, Trump's going to spend the rest of his life in jail, et cetera, considering the possibility that Mike Pence will pardon him? Just like right. Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon. I was just thinking about that the other day. And I don't understand why more people aren't thinking that that's obviously what would happen if that's I think they are. I mean, I think they've said that. 
Yeah, I, I didn't, I'm just surprised so many people are thinking Trump's going to die in jail and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's insane. People are like, I just can't wait for him to rot in prison. I'm like, do you actually think that's going to happen? Yeah. I guess so. Of course so. it's not going to happen. And what world are you living in? He's still oh threatening God. to throw Hillary Clinton in jail, like the red meat for his base. And then, the you know, the Democrat resistance is still insinuating that Trump's going to go to jail. So whatever keeps him going. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention that the whole thing about Facebook shutting down those pages is because I said they're meddling in the 2018 election. It's a, or it's like this is all like part of this larger operation. Of meta. It's like how, how do these pages have anything to do with meddling in the election? It was, a, it was about an anti-fascist rally against yeah. Nazis. Yeah. Well, Abby, the, the um, you know, the larger Pomerantsov, my, my, Michael Weiss narrative is that it's all about polarization, you know? You know, that's what they'll all say. So, like, anything that's extreme left can be characterized that way now. But, you know, I go back to thinking about proper not. And how that mm -hmm. got all that Washington Post and media attention when it was basically just, it laid it out all right there. It laid it out what the agenda was to, it was like all of these websites, proper not, for people who don't remember, listed a list of websites saying all of these websites are Russian disinformation or Russian useful is idiots. We don't see a distinction. And they listed like pretty much every single like left-leaning website on the internet. Right. And it's just like, oh. So now this is what the plan is. Smart right. move. Checkmate. Like you fucking you fucking did it. Like congratulations. Uh, yeah, it, like you said, I mean it's like they're it's the blob that ate up all critical thinking on on all of the left. Yep. So it's easier to go along with it than it is to bucket as we see with people like Aaron Mate and us, you know, it's easier for to to call me a Russian agent because I worked for RT, but it doesn't matter if you did or not. No, it doesn't matter at this point anymore. I mean, like, it's moved way beyond that. Way yeah. beyond that. It's truly incredible. And it's also in the DNI report, Abby. I mean, they say, yeah. you, they quote you saying the two-party system is a sham as an example of Russian uh, disinformation to polarize our country. Yeah. So they're willing to play really dirty. Yeah, Putin told me to do that. It's it, The two-party <laughs> system is really not a sham. It's really valid and... Too bad. Too bad I was a, an unwitting dupe. Um, let us know what you think, you guys. I'm, I'm collecting some of the little voice messages. Send me a little voice message to abby at theempirefiles.tv. Um, if you want me to play it on the broadcast, I'm going to collect a couple of them and play them. Um, donate to Patreon at Media Roots Radio. We are super excited at all the support. Follow us on SoundCloud, rate us on iTunes, and let us know your feedback, your comments, and any additions that you have to our very long conversation today. Thank you for sticking with us, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And um, our Patreon page is patreon.com slash Radio. Check it out. Bye.